Chapter Seventeen of Tenterhooks by Ada Leveson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Seventeen, The Agonies of Aylmer. In the fresh cheerfulness of the early morning, after sleep, with the hot June sun shining in at the window, Aylmer used to think he was better. He would read his letters and papers, dress slowly, look out of the window at the crowds on the pavement he had come back to paris feel the infectious cheeriness and sense of adventure of the city and then he would say to himself that his trip had been successful he was better when he went out his heart began to sink a little already but he fought it off there would be a glimpse of an english face flashing past in a carriage he thought of edith but he put it aside and then came lunch for some reason immediately after lunch his malady for of course such love is a malady incongruously attacked him in an acute form why after lunch he asked himself could it be that only when he was absolutely rested before he had had any sort of fatigue that the deceptive improvement would show itself he felt a wandering humiliation at his own narrow grief however this was the hour that it recurred he didn't know why he had tried all sorts of physical cures for there is no disguising the fact that such suffering is physical and so why should the cure not be also he had tried wine no wine exercise distraction everything and especially a constant change of scene this last was the worst of all he felt so exiled in sicily and in spain so terribly far away it was unbearable he was happier directly he got to paris because he seemed more in touch with england and her yes the pain had begun again aylmer went and sat alone outside the cafe it was not his nature to dwell on his own sensations he would diagnose them quickly and acutely and then throw them aside he was quickly bored with himself he was no egotist but to-day he thought he would analyse his state to see what could be done six weeks he had not seen her for six weeks the longing was no better the pain seemed to begin at his throat pressing down gradually on the chest it was that feeling of oppression he supposed that makes one sigh as though there were a weight on the heart and certain little memories made it acute sudden flashing vivid recollection of that last drive was like a sharp jagged tear had they ever been on nearer terms and had she treated him badly it would not have caused this slow and insidious suffering he was a man of spirit he was proud and energetic he would have thrown it off if he could have been angry with her or despised her he could have cured himself in time instead of that all the recollections were of an almost sickening sweetness particularly that kiss on the day he went to see her and the other the second was also the last so it had a greater bitterness rapture sharper than a sword joy like a sudden spear those words casually read somewhere came back to him whenever he remembered her aylmer had read heard of these obsessions but never believed in them it was folly madness he stood up tossing his head as though to throw it off he went to fetch some friends went with them to see pictures to have tea and to drive in the bois accepting also an invitation to dine with a man a nice boy a fellow who had been at oxford with him and was at the embassy here a young attache he was quite nice a little dull 
and a little too fond of talking about his chief. Elmer got home at about half-past six to dress for dinner. Then the torture began again. It was always worse towards evening. An agony of longing, regret, fury, vague jealousy and desire. He stood and looked out of the window again at the crowd, hurrying along now to their pleasures or their happy homes. So many people in the world, like stars in the sky. Why want the one star only? Why cry for the moon? He had no photograph of her but he still thought she was like his mother's miniature, and often looked at it. He wished he wasn't going to dine with that young man tonight. Elmer was the most genial and sociable of men. He usually disliked being alone, yet just now being with people bored him. It seemed an interruption. He was going through a crisis. Yet he could not stand anyone this evening. He rang the bell and sent a petit bleu to say he was prevented from dining with his friend. What a relief when he had sent this. Now he could think of her alone and in peace. She had never asked him to go away. It was his own idea. He had come away to get over it. Well, he hadn't got over it. He was worse. But it wasn't because he didn't see her. No, he didn't deceive himself. The more he saw of her, the worse he would be. Not one man in a thousand was capable of feeling so intensely and deeply as Aylmer felt and never in his life before had he felt anything like it and now it came on again with the ebb and flow of passion like an illness why was he so miserable why would nothing else do he suddenly remembered with a smile that when he was five years old he had adored a certain nurse and for some reason or other his mother sent her away he had cried and cried for her to come back he remembered even now how people had said oh the child will soon forget but he wore out their patience he cried himself to sleep every night and his perseverance had at last been rewarded after six weeks the nurse came back his mother sent for her in despair at the boy's misery how well he remembered that evening and her plain brown face and her twinkling eyes how he kissed his mother and thanked her the nurse stayed till he went to school and then he soon forgot all about her. Perhaps it was his nature, at rare intervals, to want one particular person so terribly, to pine and die for someone. That was a recollection of babyhood, and yet he remembered even now that obstinate, aching longing. He suddenly felt angry, furious. What was Edith doing now? Saying good-night to Archie and Dilly? They certainly did look, as she had said, heavenly angels in their night attire he had been privileged to see them. Then she was dressing for dinner and going out with Bruce. Good heavens, what noble action had Bruce ever done for him, that he should go away? Why make such a sacrifice for Bruce? Perhaps sometimes she really missed him a little. They had had great fun together. She looked upon him as a friend. Not only that, but he knew that he amused her, and she liked him, thought him clever, and admired him, even. But that was all yet she could have cared for him he knew that and not only in one way but in every way they could have been comrades interested in the same things they had the same sense of humour much the same point of view she would have made him probably self-restrained and patient as she was in certain things but in others wouldn't he have fired her with his own ideas and feelings and violent passions and enthusiasms she was to be always with bruce that was to be her life. Bruce, 
who was almost indescribable because he was neither bad nor stupid nor bad-looking he had only one fault il n'a qu'un défaut il est impossible said aylmer aloud to himself he took up a book of course one of her books something she had lent him now it was time to go out again to dinner he couldn't it was too much effort to-night he would give way and suffer grief and desire and longing like a physical pain he hadn't heard from her lately supposing she should be ill suppose she was forgetting him entirely soon they would be going away to some summer place with the children he stamped his foot like an angry child as he imagined her in her thin summer clothes how people would admire her how young she would look why couldn't he find some fault with her imagine her cold priggish dull too cautious but he could only think of her as lovely as beyond expression attractive drawing him like a magnet as marvellously kind gentle graceful and clever he was obliged to use the stupid word clever as there was no other he suddenly remembered her teeth when she smiled and a certain slight wave in her thick hair that was a natural one it is really barely decent to write about poor aylmer as he is alone suffering thinking himself unwatched he suddenly threw himself on his bed and gave way to a crisis of despair about an hour later when the pain somehow became stupefied he lit a cigarette ashamed of his emotion even to himself and rang the servant brought him a letter the english post he had thought so much of her felt her so deeply the last few days that he fancied it must somehow have reached her he read my dear aylmer i'm glad you are in paris it seems nearer home last night i went to the mitchells and mr mitchell disguised himself as a russian count nobody worried about it and then he went and undisguised himself again but lady hartland worried about it and as she didn't know the mitchells before when he was introduced to her properly she begged him to give her the address of that charming russian and vincy was there and darling vincy told me you'd written him a letter saying you weren't so very happy and oh aylmer i don't see the point of your waiting till september to come back why don't you come now we're going away for archie's holidays come back and see us and take freddy with us somewhere in england you told me to ask when i wanted you ask you anything i wanted well i want to see you i miss you too much you arrived in paris last night let me know when you can come i want you edith the bell was rung violently orders were given arrangements made packing was done aylmer was suddenly quite well quite happy in a few hours he was in the midnight express due to arrive in london at six in the morning happy beyond expression by ten o'clock in the morning he would hear her voice on the telephone he met a poor man just outside the hotel selling matches in rags aylmer gave him three hundred francs he pretended to himself that he didn't want any more french money he felt he wanted someone else to be happy too End of chapter seventeen